for a father in heaven who cares for his children. We should be thankful that he is God. For the Lord, he is God. It is he that has made us and not we ourselves. This is God. This is God. He spoke and galaxies appeared. This is God who spoke in beasts of the field and birds of the air and fish of the sea came into existence, who could form man from the dust of the earth and with one rib could form an entire woman. He split the sea in two, causing them to stand like walls so the Israelites could walk through on dry land. This is God brought one city to its knees through the holler and scream of mortal beings, gave one man the ability and the strength to single-handedly slaughter a thousand men with nothing but a donkey's jawbone. This is a mighty God who cares for you. This is who we should be thankful to and thankful for. grateful that you are here today. I'm looking forward to uh, the opportunity to spend some time in the scriptures. And as we move to the end of our service, we're going to spend some time uh, together at the Lord's table celebrating communion and uh, using that as an opportunity to uh, prepare our hearts. And I, I want you to know, as uh, especially I guess those of you who are visitors, uh, you would want to know that uh, Coastal Hampton is part of a of a group of churches, coastal churches at four campuses across the peninsula and the south side. And uh, we have baptisms going on at our other services. I think all told 30 people being baptized, testifying publicly of their faith in Jesus and uh, families. Yeah, that's awesome stuff, right? And uh, families dedicating themselves to raising their children in the things of God. And uh, as I mentioned last week, I already know of someone, we couldn't turn it around quite quickly enough, but we've got one person already that has said, I want to be baptized at Hampton at the next time around. So we're going to be ready for that. And uh, so be thinking about that. It's been a, it's been a few years, uh, right, since uh, this baptistry has been uh, filled, and we're super excited about that. Well, listen, I want to uh, spend some time in a psalm this morning, and we're going to use it to talk about the things of God and celebrate and talk about worship, and then we're going to use it at the end to kind of work our way toward the Lord's Supper. And so I want to ask you to begin with, I wonder if you have had occasions, I, I feel pretty confident that you have, when you've been in a worship experience and there was just something about it that Man, your heart was moved, your emotions were moved, there was just something going on. You really felt the power of God and the Spirit of God at work in your own heart, and, and uh, you could almost sense it in the service. You know, I, I, I just think that has, that happened often enough that we, we recognize that kind of experience. And I suspect you've been in others that didn't feel the same way, right? And maybe sometimes it's similar music, but there's just something that just didn't connect with you. I wonder if you've thought about what makes the difference in that. Is it just that the preacher was having an off day? I mean, obviously that happens. You're here often enough to know that, but uh, sometimes that happens, right? Sometimes maybe the, there's, a, there's a mistake in the music and you happen to notice it, right? I don't know, but is it those things? I don't think so. I think there are deeper things at work. And I want to spend some time in the 95th Psalm today 
because I think that plays over into life, right? Sometimes we're, we're walking through life because we know, I mean, we, we teach that our life is to be a life of worship, right? We don't only worship when we come here. We ought to be worshiping God with our lives. And so, man, some days we're feeling it and some days not so much. And it, uh, what can we do to get our attention and our focus and our perspective changed around a little bit so that that uh, sense of God's presence and God's power and an awareness of who he is is a little more consistently true. Psalm 95 is one of the uh, actually numerous psalms that are what are called songs of ascent. They would have been sung as people were ascending to Jerusalem, to the temple, to worship God. And so they were a challenge to people. Here's how we want to come into the presence of God. And when we want to experience his uh, reality and his presence, here's how we do this. And so there are several things in here. And I want to begin with just the first two verses, and I want to talk about celebration. What we're coming to do is to celebrate who God is. Psalm 95 verses 1 and 2 say, Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. It says, come. Let us come. It says that twice. In the first verse, the way it's worded suggests coming to a place. Listen, I, I got to tell you, there is almost nothing in the scriptures that talks about personal worship. Now, I know you can worship God on your own. I, there are some guys worshiping God in the woods these days. I know, I get it. I hear that from them all the time. And yes, you can worship God out in creation but the scriptures talk often about God's people coming together to worship. We don't just have a corporate worship service because it's what you're supposed to do on Sundays. We do that because God has designed us so that we can come together and worship. So we come to a place and the writer is saying, come, come with me. A little bit like we did yesterday. A little bit like you might do with your friends or your neighbors and say, why don't you come with me to our Christmas Eve service? We're going to enjoy uh, some readings from Scripture. We're going, to, we're going to do a candle lighting service. We're going to celebrate Jesus and, as the light of the world. Come with me. There's something to be said about invitational evangelism, right? Come with me. You know by now that if you invite your friends to church, they are likely going to hear the gospel. So... I don't want to make it be an excuse for you not to share the gospel with your friends, but man, at least do that, right? And then the second verse, when it says, let us come before him, let us come into his presence, the emphasis of the way it's written is not just coming to a place, but coming to meet a person. We're coming here to meet with God, to worship God, our, our Father, our king. And so we're, we're not only arriving at a place, we're coming to meet with someone. And what do we do? So that's our approach, right? So we're, we're coming, we're, we're being here together, and we're going to celebrate. These words in these couple of verses are words that 
If you, like me, come from a bit of a more uh, conservative background, make us just a whisker uncomfortable. Not sing. I mean, sing is good, right? Sing is just singing, using music to offer your worship to the Lord. Can I tell you this? If you don't sing because you don't get much out of the music, everybody else around you is missing out. Because I don't come and sing only for what I get. I come and sing because it's part of what we do corporately and other people are ministered to as I join in. There might be a couple of you that are saying, listen, when I sing, nobody's ministered to. Maybe that's true, okay? But we, we don't do auditions to come to corporate worship here. We only do auditions for the people that stand up here. So come and sing. Open your mouth and sing. We don't care if you're sitting in the congregation and you can sing on tune. Hopefully you're close, but man, sing. Use music to offer celebration to the Lord. And that phrase, joyful noise, is used twice. It just means joyful noise. <laughs> it's victory shouts. When you go to your favorite team, I don't care if it's pro or you're a college, whatever, or maybe just your high school and you're, you're in the gym or you're in the civic center or wherever it is, you're in the stadium and your team scores and you guys are the home team, does everybody just say, yes, that's great, right? No, it is an outcry. It's roaring celebration. For those of us who come from that conservative background, that's what joyful noise is referring to. We're just a little leery of being too outgoing with our worship, right? But it is to cry out. It, it's splitting the ears loud, make a joyful noise. And he says it twice in case we missed it. And do it with thanksgiving. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. That's why this passage is included in this series on thankfulness. Because we come with a spirit of thanksgiving. Now, we try, as a rule, you may have noticed that usually our first couple of songs are kind of upbeat, they're lively, they're fun, and we're, we're happy to do that. But I got to tell you, um, that's because I know that there are people who are coming that have not come really well prepared to worship. Sometimes we don't always do that. I read a book years ago. Uh, called Making Sunday Special. And they advocated, this family, uh, the wife especially, wrote, wrote the book, but they advocated starting your week on Monday in your mind so that everything you do throughout the week is geared toward Sunday. So that you're not starting with Sunday, let's do worship and then we'll get to the rest of our week, but let's get the rest of our week and we're moving toward Sunday. And she did all the stuff that could really help and I know it's really hard and especially those with young kids are like, yeah, that doesn't happen in my house. But what would happen if we would reserve Saturday evenings to say, you know what, I'm not going to go up and be out till 10 o'clock or 11 o'clock or whatever. I'm not going to be out and busy Saturday evening. I want to stay home and begin to calm my heart, begin to maybe meditate a little bit. 
Maybe spend a little time thinking about this past week and what has God done this week so that when we come to worship, there's already something in there waiting to come out. I wonder what would happen if we would spend time doing that. I wonder if it would look a little bit like this. The psalmist said in Psalm 47, clap your hands, all you people. Shout to God with loud songs of joy for the Lord, the most high is to be feared, a great king over all the earth. I wonder if it would be okay for us to be just a little more enthusiastic in our celebration of the Lord. We celebrate, though, with an attitude to exalt who God is. So if the celebration is what we come to do, exaltation is why we come to do it. Look at verse 3. For because the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. We exalt God because of who he is. He is the Lord. That's the word that when you see it, and it's all capital letters, it's the Hebrew name Yahweh, it's the covenant name of God, it's the name that God uses when he thinks of you, if you are his through Jesus Christ, if you are in a relationship with him through Jesus. He is the covenant-keeping God. It is the name that doesn't only mean God is committed to keeping his word, but that he is able to keep his word in spite of any potential hindrances. Now, why do I say that? Well, because perhaps you, like me, have said you were going to do something at various times in your life, and something has come up that made it impossible for you to come through. Maybe you just got a little irresponsible or forgetful, or maybe something happened that kept you from doing what you said you were going to do. When you see those four words, the Lord, and it's all in capital letters, that should remind you that experience never happens to God. Not only is he committed to keeping his word, he is able to always keep his word. He is our rock. Verse 1 said that. Remember, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. This is how David wrote it in the 40th Psalm. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry and drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog and set my feet on a rock making my steps secure. That terminology is used for God many times in the scriptures. It speaks of security. It speaks of stability. It speaks of confidence. All things which vacillate in the world we live in, right? You want confidence and security and stability in your life? Well, you're not going to find it in the stock market right now. You're not going to find it in, in your, maybe your job situation. You may not even find it in some of the relationships you're in. But when the Lord is your rock, there is stability even in the midst of instabilities of life. So that's why we exalt him because of 
who he is. He is a great king, it says, above all gods at the end of verse 3. It's interesting to me that the Old Testament talks about other gods. I want to remind you that's not because the that God is acknowledging the actual existence of other gods. It's simply a reminder that God is sovereign and superior above every force, real or imagined, that men might come up with. Compared with the creator, other gods are just imitations of the real thing. No matter how much people believe in them, they are not real. In fact, this is how Jeremiah talks about them. The customs of the peoples are vanity. A tree from the forest is cut down and worked with an axe by the hands of a craftsman. They decorate it with silver and gold. They fasten it with hammer and nails so that it cannot move. Their idols are like scarecrows in a cucumber field. They cannot speak. They have to be carried, for they cannot walk. Do not be afraid of them, for they cannot do evil, neither is it in them to do good. Every man is stupid and without knowledge. Now listen, I know just in that moment a few names flashed across your mind, but let's stick with the theme. Every goldsmith is put to shame by his idols, for his images are false, and there is no breath in them. They are worthless, a work of delusion. At the time of their punishment, they shall perish. When the scriptures talk about other gods, it's simply acknowledging for the sake of argument, even if they were there, they are nothing compared to the Lord. So we celebrate who God is. We exalt him for who he is. We also exalt him for what he has done. This last verse or so is about creation, right? In his hand are the depths of the earth and all of that. God created everything. Those who refuse to acknowledge created earth and created people and what God has done in creating things are people who do not want to be under the authority of that God because everybody knows you make something, it's yours. You write a song, it belongs to you. You have the rights to it. You Put together a a dress if you're a seamstress or you build something if you're a carpenter or whatever it is. It belongs to you. You have the right of disposal. You can sell it to someone else. You can keep it for yourself. You can give it away, but it's yours. When we create, it belongs to us. Evolution refuses to accept that. So in pagan thought, these phrases became very important. Because there were gods who, in pagan thought, were supposedly in charge of these things. Molech supposedly ruled the depths. Baal, the mountain peaks. And the sea was ruled by Tiamat. But in these couple of verses, we're reminded they all belong to God. It's all God's because he made it. Thirdly comes our identification. This is the how of the passage. We talked about the what. We come to celebrate. We talk why. Well, because of who God is and what he's done. 
How do we do it? By identifying ourselves with him as his people. That begins with humility. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. For he is our God and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Bow down, kneel. That talks about surrender and submission. And so, as one writer said, a crucial point is made here. Our worship is not centered in what we get out of church. Listen, I hope you're inspired when you come to church. I hope you're edified and built up in your faith. I want all of those things to be true when you come to church, but that's not the central reason we come. Our worship is centered in what we give to God. Worship is the turning of our lives over to him, nothing less. A service of worship, therefore, is functionally a service of surrender. So it begins with humility. We identify with God by being humble, and then we identify by acknowledging our relationships with him. He is our God. He is our maker. Let's kneel before our maker. We just, in the previous verse or two, talked about he made everything. It is all his by right of creation. So we kneel before our maker. That's our dependence on him, right? And he's our shepherd. We are the sheep of his hand, the people of his pasture. That's talking about his care for us, his compassionate concern for us. And so that, the idea of God as our shepherd, keeps us from bowing in fear. We bow in reverence because we are amazed that the God who made everything, who is the Lord over all the earth, would want to care for me. So I bow, I kneel in reverence. And then he gives a little bit of a warning. And, and, and at this point, I'm going to just spend a couple of more minutes because I'm, I'm going to invite, uh, in, in just a couple of minutes, Pastor Marcus to come. And he's going to lead us through communion. And I want to use these last four verses of this psalm to help us think a little bit about why we come with some regularity to the Lord's table. And it has to do with this admonition, beginning in verse 8. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah and as on the day at Massah in the wilderness, when your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof, though they had seen my work. For 40 years I loathed that generation and said, they are a people who go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. Therefore, I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Hard hearts don't listen or trust. Those two places, Meribah and Massah, were early in the wandering of Israel and toward the end of the 40 years of the wandering in Israel. Two experiences in which the people proved they were stubborn and didn't want to listen to God. Two places where they kept wanting God to prove himself. Prove yourself again. I know we've seen it before, but do it one more time. And they had wandering hearts. They are a people who go astray in their heart. Remember the old 
hymn that says, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart. Oh, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. We have a tendency to wander. Kind of like driving. You, you keep your hand on the wheel, right? I hope. <laughs> because your car will drift. We need God's hand on the wheel of our heart. We tend to drift. So we come to worship to fix that. What keeps us from surrender? Hard hearts, simply. And it doesn't have to be rock solid like I'm denying God. Our hearts tend toward wandering and tend to get a little calloused. So hearing the voice of God comes in the context of joyful worship, which is the expression of our submission to the living God. So we're going to spend some time in the Lord's Supper this morning. And I want to encourage you and challenge you uh, as, as Pastor Marcus comes and the team's going to come here in just a second. And we're going to give our attention to this to help prepare our hearts, to soften our hearts, to come back and say, God, if there's some area in my life that's that's hard right now. I need you to point that out. So, Pastor Marcus, why don't you come on up here, wherever you got to. There he is. And uh, the team's going to come, and uh, he's going to lead us on from here. So let me pray while they're coming, and then he's going to pick it up, and we're going to carry on uh, with uh, the continuation of this really sermon and message. Father, thank you for, uh, for who you are. We come in humble acknowledgement, exalting your greatness, that you are our Lord, you are our rock, you are our maker, you are our shepherd. We acknowledge all of these realities and pray that during these moments as we continue that you would grant us soft and pliable hearts to hear from you. For I ask in Jesus' name, amen.